Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. <laughs> Joining us today from London is George Porter. George is Knowledge and Training Manager at Ground Truth Intelligence. And today we're going to be talking about the issue of EU corporate sustainability due diligence. Um, George, first, can you give us an overview of the proposed EU corporate sustainability due diligence directive and what risk areas it covers? Hi, yeah, well, thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty complex uh, directive, made more complex, of course, by the fact that it's sort of currently being negotiated right now. Uh, we've had a draft directive from the EU Parliament, uh, the Council and uh, the you know, other EU bodies have also given their sort of uh, opinions of it. And we're currently in this state where uh, it's evolving and it's sort of being negotiated between the sort of three parties. Uh, the Council Commission and the EU Parliament, that's it. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, sort of this incredibly wide-ranging uh, directive that seeks to sort of unify uh, a lot of previous sort of uh, regulations or, you know, moves in, in the direction of an ESG sort of framework for pretty much essentially any large EU-based company or, you know, uh, most importantly, a, a company that's doing a significant amount of turnover in the EU but isn't based in there. Um, and it looks like a pretty ambitious step up in, in the regulation of, of corporate behavior. Um, we've had previous directives and regulations that have uh, focused on sort of classifying environmental and social risks or, you know, establishing a reporting framework for them. But this is the first, you know, big move towards uh, encouraging companies to actually, you know, mitigate and engage with their sort of stakeholders in the supply chain and, and deal with the issues that are you know, cropping up around the world. Um, so at present, uh, yeah, the, the three main areas are the sort of traditional risk zones, which uh, we, we associate with ESG. Um, there's, you know, a, a di directive that uh, seeks to push towards you know, environmental risks, uh, that, as I said, you know, the, the action to mitigate or prevent environmental damage. Uh, this is something that sectorally has been, you know, uh, covered by many regulations previously. We've had conflict minerals directives. We've had directives around specific hardwoods. But this is one that, you know, seeks for everything from, you know, climate uh, in general, sort of the 1.5 degree target for the Paris Agreement is something that's popping up quite a lot in negotiations, or, you know, even just pollution in, in the supply chain. Um, there's quite a bit to do with, uh, you know, social goals. Um, a lot of the bill is concerned with dealing with the risks of uh, sort of modern slavery, child labor, any other exploitative practices that could pop up in the supply chain, including sort of freedom of association, ensuring people have, you know, proper uh, work rights in, in any part of the globe. And of course, there's, there's quite a bit to do with uh, governance also. Um, there's quite a lot of discussion about a director's duty of care to conduct due diligence to, uh, you know, stop these problems from propping up and, you know, mitigating them when they do happen. Um, there's also, you know, some serious measures uh, being discussed with regards to uh, actually actively you know, fining people when they violate, you know, their duty of care, um, including, you know, fines of up to 5% of net worldwide turnover. Well, it certainly sounds broad. And you've mentioned the term supply chain a few times. And I've got to imagine this means uh, big changes when it comes to supply chain due diligence. Yes. Yeah, there's sort of three main factors in which this sort of differs from uh, previous sort of uh, supply chain due diligence directives and how people have traditionally approached risk in them. Um, the most important one is, you know, uh, it's 
you've essentially got to start looking both ways. Um, it's not strictly supply chain due diligence. It's uh, being referred to quite a bit as value chain due diligence. Um, so, you know, the, the specific uh, directive, uh, draft directive states right now that, you know, they have to be concerned with the life cycle of production and sale and waste management of product or provision of services. So you're not just looking at where your product's coming from. You're looking from, you know, where it's going on to. And you could be he potentially held liable if, you know, someone involved in even the disposal of one of your products is, you know, violating uh, social or environmental protections. Um, there's also just, you know, the, all these regulations sort of getting uh, smashed into one and all these different risk areas. There's, there's just more factors to consider and more people who have to consider them. Um, you know, the, the environmental uh, sort of discussion is, is much wider ranging. It's not these prohibition of specific things. It can be all sorts of things. There's, there's quite a lot of discussion at the present, and this is one of the more contentious areas of the bill, but there could be uh, an, a, a element of the directive that states that director's remuneration um, has to be dependent on whether they're able to uh, you know adapt their business to fit the Paris climate agreement uh, for example which will be you know quite a shock to quite a few directors I'd imagine um, there's also just you know higher stakes involved in general um, there's you know with the the five percent of global turnover potential fine being floated here and you know they're talking about civil liability for companies that cause or contribute to harm um, there's you know real risks involved if you kind of neglect and, and go back to you know a previous format of due diligence we've seen quite often, which is, you know, essentially, you know, sending around a questionnaire to your suppliers and ask them to mark their own homework, really. Um, should say as well, I mean, you know, just because it, it, there will be more and more people seeking the kind of due diligence that traditionally, you know, has been applied by sort of larger companies to their supply chain, um, just because, you know, the, the whole value chain uh, idea means that, you know, it could be lots of SMEs and, and smaller companies that, you know, get wrapped up in this and either have to, you know, check the validity of their value chain, you know, personally, or, you know, have to attest to, to a larger, you know, partner that they do business with. And I would imagine that going along with this, it's not just going to be about supply chain due diligence. A lot of it is going to have to do with ongoing auditing and monitoring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a basic requirement that, you know, all plans are, are checked on an annual recurring basis. And, you know, there's uh, a lot of... Uh, the directive states that when there is, uh, you know, an issue with a, with a supplier or, or any partner, um, you know, you have to put in place an, an action plan and you have to sort of, you know, engage with them to, to make sure, you know, there's an improvement. And obviously, you not only have to, you know, develop this action plan, check, you know, that uh, it's it actually being followed by your partner, but also, you know, check whatever attestations that they give to you to confirm that, you know, they're not just, you know, going back to the old ways of, of sort of tick boxing. There's going to be to, need to be a really strong audit chain running through, you know, everything that's done in relation to this. And that's going to have to be an international sort of audit chain, uh, you know, touching, you know, where your product starts off to where it ends up in a bin. You know? um, so, yeah, that, that's quite a big one. It is a very big one. Now, as I understand that the directive also imposes requirements to mitigate negative impacts, what are the expectations exactly? 
Well, this is a, a super interesting part of it because, you know, previously we've, we've sort of seen, you know, in regulation, these encouragements to, you know, not engage with, with polluters or anyone who, you know, abuses, you know, social uh, rights or, or anything like that. Um, but what we've seen in, in this directive is there's actually quite a lot of encouragement to continue business relationships where there are adverse impacts, but using the business relationship uh, to sort of prioritize these issues and, you know, uh, compel a positive change. Um, the, it, it's quite clear that continued engagement with a partner is, is really preferred to, to cutting them off entirely. Um, so yeah, this, this means that where there is an issue, the, the action plan needs to be drawn up with the effective partner. Uh, they've openly encouraged linking business incentives to you know, human rights or environmental performance uh, with these, these suppliers or anyone in your value chain. And then you know, compelling them to slowly but surely, hopefully, <laughs> move towards more positive impacts. Um, but then, you know, as I said, there needs to be a process of continuous due diligence, not just to uncover the issue, but to monitor the action plan and, and confirm it's being done. So it, it'll definitely be a, a new stage of approach to, compared to, you know, previous sort of questionnaire-based stuff. I mean, we are, you know, a, as a due diligence company ourselves, seeing more and more companies interested in, uh, you know, not just your traditional, let's look at open source records and confirm, you know, there hasn't been any regulatory fines issued by this company that I work with for, I don't know, despoiling the environment or something like that. But more and more people are interested in, you know, open source intelligence, discrete interviews with, you know, people who do work at these, you know, supply chain firms or sort of uh, visit to cite them, sites themselves and you know photo sort of evidence of what's actually happening at these operations to confirm that you know stuff is in line with with proposed action plans uh it's definitely a more sort of on the ground approach and yeah it definitely feels more physical and real now the directive's not finalized so it's a little early to talk about enforcement um and what you can learn from it because there hasn't been any yet but is there any sense yet of inf what enforcement might look like yeah, I mean, it's it's a little tricky to tell, as you said, but, um, you know, we have some idea of uh, what this is going to look like, both through the bill and sort of, you know, comparison with what's happening with, you know, similar regulations. Um, so, I mean, in, in the bill itself, you know, there's uh, this proposal that member states designate an authority to sort of supervise and, and confirm that, you know, people within their, their boundaries are in line with, with the regulation. Um, so pretty standard there, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for a European body to hand off to, to national regulators to, to do it. Uh, we also have this, you know, civil liability being discussed where, you know, member states need to ensure that victims of, you know, uh, violations in the supply chain get compensation for damages uh, residing from, you know, a failure to comply with these requirements. Um, that's, you know, going to be uh, quite interesting to see how it plays out as well. Um, it's, you know, uh, a, definitely a new frontier for this kind of thing. But if we look at similar laws, you know, Germany uh, passed their own sort of supply chain law uh, a year or so back, and that's had two big cut cases sort of underway right now. There's uh, these Bangladeshi sort of uh, workers uh, complaining against, I think it's Tom Taylor, Amazon and Ikea, 
regarding sort of uh, workers' protections, and you know they state they they were unable to you know work for a trade or join a trade union while they were you know working for these suppliers, um, and that is you know currently being heard heard in Germany, um, and it's definitely yeah a, a forefront of the case. But you know it took quite a quite a while to get there. I mean there's an, a couple of NGOs I, inv I I believe involved, and you know the European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights who, who've brought this case individually. So you know while it's it's definitely indicative of you know what could happen under these laws you know you'd, you'd get a proper hearing you know it's definitely taken a lot of institutional weight to, to get the case to where it is um, additionally there's this second case which i think is going to be the interesting one because I, I i feel like this is definitely where the the rubber's going to be the road in terms of the you know current european directive is there's, there's a second case against volkswagen bmw and, and mercedes uh, again involving the european center of constitutional and human rights um, regarding violations in in xinjiang in china um, which again obviously a definitely a, a hotbed of you know contentious issues right now but um it's you know the 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 case itself is being raised on the fact that the you know state sort of surveillance and suppression there makes it impossible to conduct due diligence to confirm whether you know rights are, are being violated or not um and that is absolutely going to be i think the big issue we know there's there's a lot of companies who you know uh, have a a lot of different you know supply chain relationships around the world sometimes in you know democratic states sometimes in states which are less so and there's sort of this cutout in the directive right now where it states that you know the company should companies should take appropriate measures but uh it, it sort of offers a little bit of leeway of respect to business relationships where adverse impacts uh, are coming from state intervention now if this applies directly to this sort of case we don't know but i think it's definitely going to be one of the the main issues that gets raised here because i mean we've seen with sort of the the mints group recently being expelled from china and you know what i hear from other due diligence providers that there's definitely this very large appetite by you know uh, multinationals to to check their supply chains in this region but just on the ground it's extremely difficult to, to operate in these areas and we sort of have a realm where you know uh, everyone might need to get this service and it might be very tricky to, to actually get it done and yeah seeing how this case plays out is, is going to be the tricky one but it certainly seems like there's going to be a great deal of, of sort of cases uh, related to this if, if you aren't sort of 100% sure of your entire value chain and yeah there's definitely going to be a big appetite for, for looking into it uh, and it's it's you know you touched upon a couple of things there that are notable one is you know the increased difficulty reported of doing due diligence in china and at the same time this isn't just an eu thing there's also u.s law about sourcing from that region well george thank you so much for sharing these insights with us on what is likely to be a substantial compliance issue for organizations even more so than it is now i want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen i'm adam turtletaup from scce and atca i hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective